May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. It is a pleasure to be here virtually with you this morning at St. Matthew's in Wilton. I am Josh Rodriguez Hobbs, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Episcopal Chaplain at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Had the, I had the delight of being one of your rector Marissa's seminary classmates, and it is just a treat to be invited to worship with you virtually this morning. As I looked at our, rec our readings for this week, as I prepared for the sermon, um, I was struck by the fact how odd our numbers reading is. Um, it was really quite odd. In fact, it was so odd that I did something that I probably should do more often when I'm preparing for a sermon, but don't often do, which is I went back and I didn't just read all of chapter 21 where the reading comes from, but I went and read chapter 20, 21, and 22 because I thought surely that would make our reading make more sense. But it didn't. Even in the larger context of these three chapters, our reading is exactly how we heard it this morning, an isolated incident that doesn't seem all that connected with the larger context of the, the book of Numbers. And along with this lack of context, there is so much else that we don't know about this story. Um, you know, I'm struck by the fact that we're told nothing about the symptoms that the poisonous serpent's uh, bites caused. All we're told is that many of the Israelites died. And not even how many, just many. Which seems really funny for a book called Numbers, that we're not given numbers. I mean, maybe that's just me coming um, from my professional context as a chaplain. Um, because I do regularly pay attention to numbers and to symptoms, sort of one of the facts of a, of a ministry outside the parish. I am regularly reporting the numbers of patients I've seen um, and reporting to the nurses and doctors what I've seen in rooms with patients. You know, even though I'm not a medical professional, um, at least my husband says that I'm not every time I try to refer to myself as one. You know, even though I'm not officially a medical professional, I do spend my days in a medical environment. And in that medical environment, of course, we're always talking about symptoms. So I'm very curious why we don't hear anything about what these snake bites actually do. I'm even more curious about how it made the people feel. As the chaplain, I'm, yes, paying attention to patients' physical symptoms determining whether this is a good time for a chaplain to visit or if there's something that the patient's nurse should know. But I'm also thinking in terms of spiritual symptoms. How is the patient feeling? What is their relationship with God like? Do they feel like God is punishing them? Are they struggling with some issue of guilt? What are their hopes, their dreams? 
they feel like they can trust God. All of these symptoms that we don't hear in our numbers reading. We're just told that the Israelites grumble and complain about food. Not why they grumbled or why the complaint takes the specific form about food. And you'll have to permit me, but I can't stop myself from making a connection from this incident in numbers, the sickness that we know so little about, to COVID-19, an illness that we knew very little about a year ago, which most of us probably know too much about today. As you might imagine, for most of the last year, my attention has been filled with COVID. On Friday, March 12th, John, the Johns Hopkins Hospital celebrated the anniversary of treating our first known COVID-19 patient. A year ago, everything changed about my work as a chaplain but how my ministry looked. Just like everything must have changed when the first Israelite was bitten by the first poisonous serpent. What I've learned in the past year is that plagues have a definite before and after. And I'm learning, I think we're all learning, that there's never any going back to before. You'll have to forgive me again for being so captivated by the story of this plague. Either our epistle reading or our gospel reading is a much more straightforward sermon. But there's something about this strange, confusing story. I feel connects with this strange, confusing time we're all living in. The story seems so out of place among our readings this morning. It seems so out of place in the book of Numbers. And the last 12 months have felt so out of place from what I expected to happen in February 2020. And I'm aware just like the details of the plague in Numbers are hidden from us. For whatever reason, they aren't included in scripture. But just like we don't know these details, most people don't know the details about COVID-19 and a COVID ward in a hospital. You might imagine that a COVID ward is a place of despair and there's truth to that, especially in our first few months of dealing with COVID. But just as hope arrived to the Israelites when Moses constructed the bronze serpent, hope is present in the COVID war. Of course, the bronze serpent is just as odd as the rest of the story. It almost sounds like God is commanding the people to make an idol. Of course, I'm struck by the fact that gazing 
on this bronze serpent is what brings healing to the children of Israel. There's a bad joke here, but God is curing the people by inoculation, by what is going in their eyes. And so just as there's hope in this odd story, there has been hope in the Johns Hopkins Hospital and many other hospitals around the world this past year. One of the first conversations I remember having after COVID patients started arriving at my hospital was with our canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Maryland. I'm a member of our bishop's staff. And so as a diocesan employee, I technically report to the canon to the ordinary. He's my, my direct boss. And he intentionally reached out to me one afternoon with a phone call to talk about what my ministry would continue to look like. I really remember the canon to the ordinary saying, you know, Josh, I don't want you to become a modern day martyr of Memphis. I want you to know that the bishop doesn't expect you to do that. Now, as it happened, um, I have an icon of the martyrs of Memphis in my office. And I was looking at it as I had this conversation. I've looked at it an awful lot over the past 12 months. The martyrs of Memphis aren't the best known saints in our calendar of holy women and holy men, but they're some of my favorites. They were a group of six Episcopalians, four nuns, Constance, the head of their order, Thecla, Ruth, and Francis, and two priests, Charles Parsons and Louis Schuler. I can never say his name, Louis Schuler. In 1878, there was a plague in Memphis, Tennessee, a yellow fever outbreak. And most people, at least most people who had money to do it, fled the city for the country. But Constance and her companions stayed behind to tend the sick. And they turned the cathedral in Memphis into a field hospital. They weren't alone. There were other men and women, some of them also ministers in various different Christian traditions who stayed. But we remember Constance and her companions because all of them eventually caught yellow fever and died. They were martyrs for the gospel of Jesus Christ but not in the usual sense that we think of, someone who died under persecution. These are martyrs who demonstrated their love by laying down their lives for their fellow human beings, by running toward danger in a plague instead of away from it. And Constance's last words are haunting. She's reported to have said before she died, her last audible words, Alleluia, Hosanna.
words of praise to God, even as she died from a terrible disease. As a chaplain, I think of Constance and her companions, the martyrs of Memphis, as personal heroes. So it makes sense why the canon to the ordinary would tell me not to become a modern day Constance. I, of course, wasn't eager to do that. But I also knew I felt so called to be on the COVID ward, to continue my ministry as a priest, as other priests were no longer allowed to visit their parishioners in the hospital. Those first months of COVID were so eerie. Almost every patient was ventilated. They had a machine breathing from them. And they needed so much assistance to breathe, more than the typical patient on a ventilator needs, that they were put in what is called proning. They were placed face down on their stomach in a fetal position. And somehow, in a way I don't understand, this eases strain on the lungs and helps people breathe. And there were no visitors on the anywhere in the hospital, the loved ones at bedside to tell us who our patients were as people. And of course, our patients were too sick to tell us themselves. Every time I close my eyes, I see those hallways where each room contains a patient who was nameless and faceless in so many ways. He must have been just as scared as the children of Israel when there were, when those poisonous serpents appeared. They just weren't able to tell us. But I found grace in the way that the doctors and nurses, especially the nurses and nurse techs, strove to care for their patients with dignity sitting by the bedside and holding hands, washing hair, trimming fingernails. As a member of our chaplaincy department, I and my fellow chaplains prayed, mostly with patients, but also with staff. I was count of how many times I would pray the prayer Depart, O Christian soul, out of this world from the ministration at time of death in the Book of Common Prayer. I would pray that countless times a shift. There, there would be these moments of grace. The patient would improve and come off the ventilator. It was rare at first but by the end of last summer, the doctors knew how to treat severe COVID. And so it became more frequent. The past few weeks, my COVID ward I've covered has become a step-down unit where people recovering from COVID are now. We don't have ventilators there, but we're still caring for COVID patients. We're all feeling fatigue as this plague 
drags on. And just like a snake bite, it's left scars. Of course, we aren't the only people who bear scars. We serve a God who still carries scars of crucifixion, who understands pain and suffering, who has felt fear and cried at the pain of losing someone he loved. I don't understand our reading from numbers. I can't tell you where the good news is in that passage from the Hebrew Bible. I'm very resistant still. When anyone, anyone tries to talk to me about anything good or any good news that has come out of COVID. But I hear good news in our gospel reading where Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is already talking about the crucifixion. It's only the third chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus must be lifted up. Jesus must go to the cross. But he promises us that by being lifted up, he will heal us. We will have eternal life. He will break the powers of death and disease just as that bronze serpent prefiguring the healing through Christ brought healing to the children of Israel in the desert, just as vaccines are beginning to break the power of COVID for us now, Jesus has broken the powers of disease, of sin, and death. And he has been lifted up so that we might have life. This does not erase suffering. Not in the least. Not the suffering of the Israelites. Not our suffering. Not the suffering of patients I have cared for in my hospital. Not the suffering of families who have lost loved ones. We all still bear those scars. And as a chaplain, I am constantly telling our student chaplains not to rush to hope when death has occurred. But in those moments, after that initial shock, I do believe we can hear the words of the burial service from the Book of Common Prayer. 
for your faithful people, O Lord. Life is changed, not ended by death. And I believe we can hear these words because we serve a God in Jesus Christ who died, who bears the scars of crucifixion and death, who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A reading from Numbers in this past year defy any effort to place them in context. Accept the context of a God who loves us so much that God entered into our suffering in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Who loves us so much that he loved us even to the cross. That he loved us enough not just to suffer, to unite our sufferings with his, but to carry the marks of suffering even after his resurrection. The holes in his hands. The hole in his side. And the holes in his feet. serve a God who knows what it is to suffer. And that is why I believe Constance, the martyr of Memphis, could say on her deathbed, Alleluia, Hosanna. Because the God who bent down to receive her did so, so gently because he too had suffered. And our sufferings this past year have not gone unseen, no matter what form they have taken. But they have been hid with God in Christ. Just as we are united with Christ through the waters of baptism. And that is good news. That because Jesus has been lifted up, you and I may live even though we die. Amen. Alleluia. Hosanna.